six. Where do you spend the majority of your time? That's not really a trick question. It may be a little bit different for everybody, but most people spend their lives more or less broken up into thirds. We spend, or we're supposed to spend, a third of our life sleeping, about eight hours a day. Some of us get more or less, most of us less probably. I see the Gunters in the back. Y'all are probably not getting eight hours at this point with a new baby. But you spend about a third of your life asleep, and then you spend about a third of your life at work, eight hours a day, give or take. And then that final third, generally, we spend at home, or we spend with family, close relationships, recreation, things like that. And so you would think, or I would think, that, that God would be pretty interested in the things that we spend the majority of our time in. You know, sometimes we wonder or we struggle with, how does God connect to my work, for example? Or how does God make up the center of my home? Certainly we want God to be at the center of our families. But it can be a struggle for us um, as to how my faith connects to those things. But I want us to see today, and we see it very clearly in the Scripture, that the places where we spend the majority of our lives, of our waking hours, that God cares very deeply about, and He issues us specific commands to those places. And so in this case... The question of where does God connect to my work, how does God connect to my marriage, to my family, to my parenting, Paul gives us uh, very clear and direct answers to those questions right here. And so when we've been walking through, some of y'all are, are, are new to us even today, but since about June we've been walking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. All six chapters, we're getting close to finishing up here in the next few weeks. And it's really interesting, Ephesians is one of these precious books of the Bible where we see a very clear division that's not a real division, but the first three chapters, the first half of the book, Paul explores the depths of the gospel. He, tell, he doesn't give us a single command in the first three chapters of Ephesians. He simply tells us what God has done, how God has blessed us through Jesus Christ and the new life that he's given to us. But then in chapters four through six, the latter half of the book, he gives us all the application of the gospel. He tells us, now, because Jesus has done this for me, because he's given us his grace, here's now what life looks like in response to it. Here are the implications of his grace for the church as a whole, but also for us as individuals and then for families and even in the workplace. Paul covers every aspect or every major aspect of life. And so we spent two weeks talking about marriage from Ephesians chapter 5 recently. You can find those on our website. But here in Ephesians 6 now, Paul is not done talking about uh, our intimate relationships, he goes into the places that we live and that we work. And so uh, the progression that we're going to see, we're going to try to cover nine or ten verses today. The progression we see, Paul starts with children, then he talks to parents, then he goes to employees, and then employers. So he really covers uh, pretty much everybody in this room at one stage of your life uh, or another. And he begins in verse one talking to children. We may have some kids in the room, uh, but this is important for parents too. Uh, we really need to hone in on this, regardless of where you are in your, in your stage of life. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. He goes back to the Ten Commandments. Parentheses, he says, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, it may be well with you, and that you may live long on the earth. Uh, let's stop there and look at the two quick things that Paul says concerning children and their role in the home. The first is that we are called to obey our parents in the Lord, for this is right. There's a divine order in how God has set things up. 
There's a way that God has created the home and, and, and for the home to function. He established it. And the command here, and, and this should be an obvious thing, but Paul is not assuming in this command that there are any perfect families or perfect parents. Uh, j- just like with husbands to wives, husbands and wives are given commands in Ephesians 5 that are irrespective of whether we're worthy, right? Wives submit to your husbands, not if they're worthy, but just because it pleases God. Husbands love your wives, not just when they're lovable, but love them, period, as Christ has loved the church. So we don't get caveats or loopholes here. Paul is not speaking, assuming that there are perfect parents out there that are worthy of obedience. He simply calls children to obey. Um, This is the ideal that God has set up. Children, obey and honor your parents. Now, most cultures throughout history have... uh, have intuitively honored this this little code right here. Most cultures throughout history understand that there is a, a, um, a divine role given to parents who have authority over their children. And any culture that would reverse those roles and allow children to rule, in a sense, would probably, that culture would probably crumble in a short period of time because it's just not meant to work. It's God's uh, divine order. But I want you, you don't need to turn to 2 Timothy, but in 2 Timothy, Paul gives Timothy an insight into what the world is going to become over time as the clock kind of winds down on humanity, as we anticipate the return of Christ. Paul gives Timothy a very bleak picture of how things are going to go. And I want you to, you're going you're to hear it when we get to it. He's going to give a list here. And there's an interesting part of this list. This is from 2 Timothy 3.1. Paul says, but realize this, Timothy, that in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, the list continues. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? He gives this list of very obvious things. We say, oh, those are bad things. We don't, nobody, wants to, uh, nobody wants to be caught up in that list of defining characteristics, right? But right in the middle of that, of these, of these men, these people who have completely rejected God and gone their own way, they're disobedient to their parents. That's just interesting to me because that doesn't really seem like that bad of a thing maybe on the surface. I mean, every child's disobedient to his parents, to her parents, right? But see, this is, this is not just occasional disobedience. What Paul's warning against here is a settled disposition of the heart that says, I will not be ruled by anyone, not even my own mom and dad. No one will rule over me. And Paul warns that in the last days, as human beings devolve, as cultures devolve and turn away from God, this will be one of the signals that children, by and large, are not, do not honor and obey their parents. Okay? Um, and so this is the significance of it. Paul says, listen, obey your parents because it's right. God created it to be done this way. That's the first point. Now, the second point for kids, it says, honor your father and mother, not just because it's right, but Paul says it will go well for you. That's the promise in verse three. Uh, life will go well for you. Things will be better for you. And this is the truth. We don't need scientific evidence to, to point us to this. It's just true. That almost always an obedient and honoring child grows up into a life-giving adult. I mean, isn't the truth? Almost always, almost without fail, children who honor their parents well become kind, generous, uh, hospitable, humble, grown-ups because the divine order has taken root 
in their hearts. It's not just that a child is obedient because I figured out how to kind of get my own way in the household. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not, he's not talking about manipulation, right? He's talking about genuine obedience and honor of parents. And, and that little girl who lives that way, who honors God according to the scripture, she grows up into an adult and she no longer has to obey her parents, right? You grow out of that command. I don't have to obey my dad as a 35-year-old man, right? But I do continue to honor him, right, by God's design. And if I honored my parents in youth, there's a good chance I'm going to grow up and become an honoring adult, right? It's just the way God established it. And so he says, listen, things will go well with you, children, if you honor your parents. The last thing I'm going to say on this, and, and if, if there are children you know, still under the, the authority of their parents— this is not a command to obey your parents just because. And a lot of times that's how we interpret it. God says do it, so okay, I'll just grit my teeth and do it, okay? Um, it's not, and again, I, I, I repeat this, it's not a command to obey when your parents deserve to be obeyed and honored. What Paul is trying to communicate, I think, here is this, that for children to understand who God is, for children to understand to love and to, uh, to cherish God and to walk with God, God says, this is how you get your wheels on the track. There are not, if you notice this, you go through the scriptures, there's not just a whole lot of commands given to children in the Bible. There's not a whole lot. This is the primary and central command given to children. Obey your parents in the Lord, honor your father and mother. God makes it very, now it's not easy, but it's very simple. God makes it very simple because to know and love him, your heavenly father, it starts in the home where children simply obey and honor their mom and dad, okay? And so it's not just for children. It's not just an act of the will. It's not gritting your teeth and doing it. Old, the old Dennis the Menace, you know, this is, this is years and years ago. Uh, he, he said uh, he was sitting down at the table. He didn't want to sit down. He wanted to stand up in his chair. Some of y'all may remember this. His parents set him down in the chair, and he said, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, you know? Uh, that it's, it's not an act of the will, just giving outward appearances. It's an act of faith. I want to know and love God, and so I will honor and obey my parents. Okay? That's how important this is. Now, who's responsible for, for giving that pattern? Who's responsible for making it, uh, in a sense, easier on our children to fulfill that commandment? It's us. It's moms and dads. It's parents. And so that's where Paul takes us uh, next in verse 4. Paul speaks to fathers. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, now, this command belongs to fathers and mothers, obviously. It's, he's, not, he's not singling out fathers only. It's for moms and dads. But it's worth noting what Paul assumes here in verse 4. He assumes godly male leadership in the home. He assumes it. Uh, he calls dads to take the lead. And I think one of the most uh, destructive issues in our society, one of the reasons we struggle so much as a nation, is because of the absence of fathers in the home. And I know there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that go into that and everything else, I get it. But just the, the plain and bald truth of it, that fathers, so many fathers have, have, have just given up their rightful place in the home whether that's physical absence or emotional absence, either one, that's poison to a child. That's poison to a child, not to know the love and the authority of a father. And so dads are called to lead in this, just as we partner with our wives together. And what is the command for us, moms and dads? The command in verse 4 is, 
Don't provoke your children to anger or do not exasperate your children. Maybe that's your version. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, this, this command is probably my biggest struggle as a parent. Some of y'all have seen me before or after church attempt to parent my children, perhaps. Maybe you snicker as you, you know, watch me try to chase my kids up and down the stairs. Um, I, and, and I think every parent struggles with this to some degree, a lot of insecurity as moms and dads, feeling like failures, feeling like we don't have control, feeling like the path is not laid out well for the future because of my own failures and shortcomings as a dad. And when I, honestly, when I look at verse four, I feel the weight of this and I struggle with it because here's the truth. I'm called as a dad, I'm called to bring Mason and Caleb up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That means that, that I, as a dad, be, my, my responsibility as a dad is not just to provide financially and to protect, but my role is to actually bring my children to God, to show them what God is like. That as I discipline my kids, as I teach my children, Jennifer and me both, we're, we are primarily the shapers of our children's view of God. What my kids think about when they think of God, generally they're going to think about it through the filter of their dad and their mom, for better or worse, right? I can still remember when I was a youth pastor, I was a young, oh, I was 23 years old maybe, and I sat down with a young man who had a terrible relationship with his father, and he could not accept that God was his heavenly father. He could not accept it because he could only think of that in terms of his own father, his earthly father, and it just didn't compute to him. And I'd never, I'd never considered that until I sat face to face with a young a boy who had been ruined by a father who did not model God to him well. And so the, the, you see why this weighs heavy on me, and it should weigh heavy on any parents that we have in the room. And so when we, when we face a scripture like this, here's the problem, okay? Don't provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? Well, it can mean a lot of things. But I want you to think about this. Um, when my kids don't act the way I want them to, when they do what kids do, uh, when they sin, when they act out, when they, um, oh, when they embarrass us, when they act foolishly, they, that's what kids do, right? Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, right? Um, how do we respond? How do parents respond? How do I respond? Well, we tend, I say we, maybe this isn't true for you, but I think it probably is. We tend to take our children's sin personally. We tend to think of it as being about us, not between my child and God so much as it is my child is offending me, is getting in the way of, uh, of me and what I want. And so as parents, we might blow up in that moment when our children sin or when they continually sin. We might yell, we might get up in their face, we might grab them by the arm or say things we shouldn't say to them. We might over-punish them for little things um, and get to the point where maybe as parents we say, that's it, I'm done. Now, I, you know, I don't ever do that, okay, of course, but you know, some parents might do that. We just, you know, just, I'm done, I've had it. And of course, we can do things a lot worse than those. Um, Paul Tripp speaks well to this, uh, and he's, he's written a great book on parenting. I'll share it with you if you come find me after the service. Uh, but Paul Tripp, there's a point he makes on this, that our children need the same grace we do. My kids need the same grace I need, not just the same grace I used to need when I was their age. That's true, too. 
But my kids today need the same grace that I need today. And, and if you think about it this way, if you by faith in Christ are a child of God, that's a wonderful thing. But as God's child, what's the truth about me? I sin. I act foolishly. I embarrass God every day. I mean, every day. And yet God fathers me all along the way, every single day. God does not forsake me. God does not throw his hands up and say, I'm done. That's it. God in his grace fathers me. He's my heavenly father. And so when my kids don't act the way I want, and I get all bent out of shape about it, it's because their sin, I'm not seeing their sin as being an issue that needs God's grace because their sin is ultimately a problem with God. I internalize their sin and I make it about me. And parents so often will make it about us. And, and it, it, instead of seeing them in the way that Ephesians 6 calls me to see them, I make it all about me and I think my kids have violated me. They have inconvenienced me. They've disrespected me. They've messed up my house. They've uh, disrupted my sleep. They put a dead lizard in my refrigerator. Okay? That's true. And I've made it about me, and when they don't fit the mold of what I want them to be in that moment, I'm tempted to just blow up. I'm tempted to lose control of the, the, call, the calling that God has given me as a dad. And do you see how that might exasperate my kids? Do you see how that might provoke our children to anger? That when they look at us as parents, all they see are enforcers, judge and jury. Because you didn't do what I wanted you to do in a given moment. You didn't act the way I wanted you to act. If we obey this verse, this Ephesians 6, 4, if we want to obey this verse to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, we have to see this overwhelming truth. My kids don't really belong to me. The government says they do, fine, but God doesn't say that. My children belong to God. God has given them to me as a stewardship. God has given them to me for a short time in order that I may bring them back to him. That's why he's given me children. That's why he gives us kids. They don't belong to us. They're not like pets. They're human beings shaped in the image of God, and God has given us the great privilege and responsibility to show them who he is and what he's like. And now my responsibility is to point them to Christ. And so every, think about this, every sin that our children commit is a new and fresh opportunity to point them to Christ, to point them to God. Are my, and, and here's a good question that we should ask ourselves. When my children sin, when they're, when they're acting sweetly, man, we're, you know, it's all good. But when they sin, when they really need to understand God's grace, to understand his truth. When they sin, are they seeing any of God's character qualities in me in that moment? Are they seeing grace? Are they seeing the same grace that I need from my Heavenly Father on a daily basis that maybe I take for granted? Or are they seeing a, a, uh, an outburst because they, they didn't conform to me, they didn't conform to what I wanted them to be? Right. In that case, I'm missing the mark on Ephesians 6, 4. And we all do it. We all do it. I do it. But the question we have to ask is, am I parenting my children to conform to my standards, or am I trying always to point them to Christ and the gospel? Because I need that grace today, just like my kids do. And I think that's what 
Ephesians 6, 4 is aiming for here. And so Paul has told us very simply, children, here's our responsibility. If you want to love and honor God, then you love and honor your parents. You obey them as a first order. And parents, listen, don't make it hard on your kids. Paul says, don't drive them to anger. Don't become to them an enemy who simply punishes them all the time and never expresses to them the discipline and instruction of the Lord, who never models for them the gospel. And Paul takes a hard right turn here. He's talked about the home, and now he's going to talk about the workplace. I really wanted to make this two sermons, but we're coming up on the end of the year, and so we're just going to, we're just going to follow Paul on, on through verse 9, because they do connect. These, remember, these are the two places we spend the most, the most time out of all our waking hours, up to 16 to 20 hours a day at home and at work. And so when Paul turns the corner here from children to parents to work, we're just going to read the whole little section here. I think it's verses five to nine. And uh, I'm talking about employees, employers today. That's not the language he uses. And so let's just talk about that before we move on. Verse five, Paul says, slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not by way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them and give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. People struggle, understandably, with verses like this, where it talks about the idea of slaves and masters in the Bible. Why wouldn't Paul stand up right here and, and um, speak out against slavery? I mean, why wouldn't the Bible step out and say, listen, slavery's wrong and you shouldn't do it? Well, listen, the Bible does say that, and there are many, many, many places in the Scripture where it is very clear that all people are created equally in dignity in the image of God. We, there is, you can't make a case for slavery using the Bible. Um, but that's not Paul's goal here. And we should understand, Paul is speaking to the Roman world, the Ephesian culture specifically, where in this time and place, slavery was the primary economic system of the day. Paul is speaking into a culture where they have estimated that in the Roman world, there were as many as 60 million slaves in the first century, right here, okay? And so the Bible is very clear that if you, say, if you talk about slavery as an institution, that it's wrong and we should, uh, we should uh, reject it. But what Paul has to do in this moment, he's speaking to people who simply live in the reality of this Roman culture where slavery is the way life is. And he's helping these people navigate the culture that they're a part of. And so Paul's goal here is not to talk about the right or wrong of slavery. He's simply speaking to the governing reality that cannot be changed through the Ephesian church. And so therefore, this is how you ought to act. Right? Um, and so the, 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 the point of slavery is a different topic that can be covered elsewhere. But that's not Paul's point here. And I hope that makes sense. Uh, so what Paul is trying to do, he's saying, in light of the governing reality that you're a part of, here's how you ought to live. And there is an interesting point to be made here, that Paul is speaking to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to both slaves and masters in the church. This is something utterly unique to Christianity in the early church. 
that of all the culture, there was a very clear class system. There were, there were those in authority and there were those underneath, right? There were masters and slaves, and there was no mixture between the two. They were different classes of people entirely. But in the church, Paul viewed them as the same, all right? And he has said it elsewhere that because of Christ, in Christ, there is neither slave nor free, just as there is neither male nor female, just as there is neither Jew nor Gentile. But, all, but Christ is all and is in all. That is to say, masters and slaves, you are the same in Christ, and therefore you worship in the same church, and there's no class system here. All right? So he speaks to them as with equal dignity, and that's important for us to understand. So it is subversive, even though he doesn't decry the larger cultural uh, narrative of slavery. He's saying, listen, we are different, and here's how. Look at, uh, look at verse 5 again. Paul says, when we do our work... Now, are employees, employers the same as slaves and masters? No, it's not the same, but the principles are the same. And if you look at it, I think, I think that's clear. The principles are the same, even though the circumstances are not. Verse 5, employees, when you work, how do you work? He says, do your work in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not putting on a good front to please people, but as a servant of Jesus. We should do the will of God from the heart. Now, take that just that little section right there. Would that uh, revolutionize how you do your work? If all we looked at was just verses 5 and 6 concerning how, we're, how we are to work as those who are under authority, as we are employees under the authority of others, he says, do it with all the sincerity of your heart as, as if you are doing it to Christ himself, not as those who please men simply from an outward appearance, but as those who serve Jesus. Would that change the way we work? Would that change the way we do uh, our schoolwork? Would that change the way anything that we put our hands to in this life? I think it would, even to the most mature Christian in this room. If we really took this to heart, what Paul is calling us to, then that means the goal of our work is not to please people. It's not to angle for promotions so that we can climb the ladder. It's not to show off how smart or competent we are. Uh, the goal of our work is not to figure out what's the bare minimum I can get away with here and still be considered a good employee. It's certainly not to just clock in and clock out and endure it and get to the end of the day and collect my paycheck at the end of the week. No, Paul says, listen, the goal of our work are none of those natural things that are natural to us, but as followers of Jesus, the goal of our work now takes on an entirely different meaning because we're no longer working on a horizontal plane simply for a paycheck or to please some person, but we are now working as if Jesus Christ himself is our employer so that we give our hearts to him and everything we do is ultimately for him. And so that's why we're told, with good will render service as to the Lord rather than for men, because whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Paul's using the language of a salary here. He's talking about a wage. That if we work on, on earth in whatever we do, when we work as if it's unto Christ, then Christ will give us the wage, the salary that he deems appropriate, right? That we're working for something greater and higher than a paycheck or the approval of another person, right? That's how we're called to work, and that should change everything. Paul doesn't tell us practical tips. He simply says, you've got to have a certain kind of heart that loves Jesus more than you love uh, the approval of others or a salary on earth. Now, we don't have a lot of time left, but let me say it this way. This, this convicts me to say it like this that Christ followers ought to be the best employees in the world. 
we ought to have the best work ethic in the world. We ought to be the most diligent, considerate, hardworking, do our best and do it with joy because we're not doing it on a horizontal plane any longer. It's a vertical thing now for us. Now, not every job pays a lot of money. Not every job gives us the enjoyment of working with good people who take care of us and who honor us. We don't always work for those kind of people. But the point is this now, that because you are a Christian, you work for a higher goal, to a higher purpose, and for the delight of a higher master. Okay? In the culture that Paul is speaking into, slaves didn't, a slave didn't say, you know, I think I'm going to go to a different master where I can find more fulfillment. You know, I'm not very fulfilled in what I'm doing. That wasn't even an option for them. Okay, they weren't working in positive circumstances to begin with. And Paul says, listen, because of Christ now, this takes on a new meaning, even when it's difficult. And that is for us what makes a Christian a better employee than anybody else, ideally, because we have a higher purpose. Now, Paul speaks, and I'll do this real quickly, he speaks to employers, and that may apply to somebody in the room. Those who are in authority have people under them. He says, do the same things. Everything I just commanded the employee, you do the same with goodwill render service as to the Lord. Remember, it's to the Lord. It's not to men, even to those uh, entrusted under you. And Paul says, don't threaten, which is to say, don't use your authority as a means of intimidation. Don't use your high position as a way of suppressing people and getting what you want out of them or using them as just cogs in the wheel because God, uh, Paul says, you have the same master in heaven that they do. Their master and yours is in heaven and he shows no partiality. Every boss on this earth answers to a higher boss, answers to a higher master and his name is God. And so the Christian boss has the responsibility not just to lead but to actually serve because that reflects what it is to be under the authority of God, to serve those under their care and to recognize I don't have any authority ultimately unless God has given it to me as a steward. All right, let me close with this. Paul gives us a lot here, and, it's, and, and I, hope it's, I hope there are handles that we can hold on to practically, but I want you to notice the thread that runs through all these, and I, and I had never seen this before until I started to prepare for this message. Everything Paul has just told us has an anchor point or a thread that runs through it, like I said. Uh, remember what he says to children, obey your parents in the Lord, right? Parents, raise your children up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Uh, slaves or employees, um, uh, work in the sincerity of your heart as unto Christ, and then masters do the same. Uh, our home life and our work life are such massive issues, aren't they? I mean, they take up so much of who we are and what we're about. And yet, I think a lot of us, we try to navigate those things just the best we can. I mean, we're just trying to get through the day a lot of the time. We're just trying to get over this hump, maybe, and we can cross the next hump when we get there. Like, the, the question of where does God fit in? Where does God fit into my work? How can I live out my faith at work? I know all of us have asked that question at different points. And a lot of times, we just don't know the answer. We have no idea how to really navigate that. How do I really point my children to the gospel when they're in sin and all I want to do is just act in the moment, right? I don't, I don't want to take the time to talk with them about Christ and to show them the truth of his grace. I just want to punish them. I mean, how, how, do, I, how do we find God at the center of all those things? Well, we understand that in everything that Paul is calling us to here, he's not just calling us to tips and tricks for better life. This isn't just how to have a better, more ordered home or how to enjoy and be more fulfilled at work. He says, listen, all of this is in the Lord, it's of the Lord, and it's unto Christ. 
that when we think about that, that everything God has given us concerning the, the 16 to 20 hours that we're awake during the day, that what God has given us to do is unto him, it's for him, it's about him, it centers on him. And so we always have to recognize this, that when I'm at home, as a husband to my wife, as dad to my children, I'm a steward of what God has given me. None of this belongs to me. He's simply given it to me for a temporary time so that I might seek him in the midst of it. And if I'm just trying to make my way through it the best I can, then I'm missing what he's called me to. I'm missing the grace that he's given to me to do it. And if I'm just trying to get through work, just get through the day, just get through the week to the weekend, then I'm missing this wonderful opportunity to do my work as unto Christ because it's a stewardship that he's given us that every day I have an opportunity to do my best to work with all my heart because I'm working for a higher purpose. And so if we, if we see this as every single day God's given me an opportunity to know him more, to love him more, to follow him more, to reveal him more to others, then I'll actually start to live not just as a better parent or a better employee, but I think we actually take on more joy in that case. Your job may not change. Your children won't just become magically obedient overnight. That doesn't happen. Circumstances may not change. But if we are living, as Paul calls us to live, unto the Lord, as to Christ, if he's our central focus, then all of a sudden our work becomes meaningful, our parenting becomes meaningful. I'm not just trying to raise good-natured kids who do the right thing. I'm trying to raise children up to know Christ. And in that case, I need to show them the same grace that I need today. Right? That changes things. I need to work as unto Christ. And in that case, I'm a better employee and a more joyful one because it doesn't matter so much what happens to me on the horizontal plane, right? I'm working for a vertical purpose. And so I'm, we're, here in a moment, we're going to pray for God's grace in this because we need it. Um, I'm speaking to areas of deep failure in my own life, and I hope you all know that. That in, in every area, I have, I have been a poor employee. I've been a, I've been a poor dad. Um, and and that, that happens pretty much every day, one way or the other. Uh, th these are areas of failure for us. You were not a good child all the time. You've not been a good parent all the time. You have not worked to the best of your ability as unto Christ all the time. None of us have. And so as we embrace that reality, listen, we fall short. We need to embrace a greater reality as we pray. And that is that God does not esteem you on the basis of your failure or your success at home or at work. And I want you all to hear that, okay? If you don't hear anything else, let me say... God does not grade us on our successes or failures at home and at work. As important as those things may be, as much as we take those things to heart, as much as we try to create our identity and surround our identity on those things, right? That's who I am. No, God says, I'll tell you who you are. By faith in Jesus Christ, you are my child. And I esteem you, I grade you on the basis of Jesus Christ and his finished work for you. You are the righteousness of God not because you earned it, not because you deserved it, not because you were such a good parent or an employee, but simply because God in his grace bestowed his love upon you and made you his son or his daughter. And so even as we struggle with these things, as we strive to get better, and we should, all of us should want to be better in these areas. We don't rest on our success or failure here. That is not who you are. We rest on the governing truth, the great reality of who we are in Christ that God is the perfect parent who would send his own son for us, that God is the perfect master who does not crack the whip on you every day to earn his love and affection, 
but he gives it to you graciously and generously. Not a wage that you've earned, but a gift that you've received. That's the truth that we rest upon, even as we strive to grow in the things that he's called us to. So let's pray about that. Father, we have nothing to offer you in this moment. Uh, I can't stand before you, God, and say, look how good of a dad I am. Uh, because my, my parenting is full of failure. And, and Lord, I can't stand before you and say, look how hard I've worked. Um, because Lord, even on my best day, I'm, I'm, I fall short. I don't use all the gifts you've given me to their fullest. I don't serve people as, as joyfully as I should. I, I just don't. And so Lord, I stand before you right now desperate. We, we sit before you right now desperate that you, Father, would, would, would show us the depth of your love in this moment, that even in our failure, Father, uh, that you have uh, fully forgiven us in Christ, that you have accepted us, that you one day will glorify us, Lord, when we haven't deserved it. Because, Lord, you look upon us uh, through the lens of Jesus and his, his shed blood for us on the cross. And so, Father, where we, where we fail in these areas, Lord, remind us that, uh, that, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have you removed our sins from us. And Lord, as we, as we look at these things, these extremely important issues of life, Father, do, do call us to a higher standard. Do call us, Lord, to... Uh, to forsake maybe the ways that we have uh, shortchanged these, these important things, that, that where we've just, um, we've just parented the way we were parented, that, Lord, that you'd show us, no, we, we, we are called to parent as a reflection of how you parent us, not just what we've seen in our past. That, Lord, as we work, um, maybe we just, we just work as hard as we know we need to in order to get by. Um, or we overwork, maybe, Lord, because we're sure that we can find our identity if we'll just work hard enough. That, Lord, in all those things, just show us we're not working horizontally anymore. We're Christians. We work to please Jesus Christ. And let that change how we do it. Let that change how we view the things that we do with our hands and with our minds. And, Father, call us, Lord, to, to be sincerely changed in these areas, to grow in these areas. We rest on your grace, Lord, but give us a heart to put our effort, all of our hearts into this, so that, Lord, we, so that our kids would see something in us, Lord, that they will not see in the world around us. So that those we work for, or those who work for us, Lord, would see something in us that cannot be explained, a light that has no explanation apart from a divine source. And Lord, let these things take on a whole new meaning now for us, because we have rooted them in you. Um, Lord, help us in this. We need so much help. But Lord, we find it in you. And we thank you, Lord, that your word speaks to these things. In Jesus' name, amen.